The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi there, this is Jamie Bamba. I'm a star of Battlestar Galactica, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's my pleasure, not Joe's, just mine, to welcome you. I don't care. To THN episode 212, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, June 10th. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. When I'm not skipping the new Jurassic World movie and holding out for my Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur film, I am writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorkBoy.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not working on my new webcomic slash Jurassic Park fan fiction, Larry Feldstein, Jurassic Park insurance adjuster, a madman-esque look at the man that decided his company should insure the doomed Dino Park again. <laughs> I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. It's a insurance procedural comic. Yeah, right. It's pretty boring. The world's ready for it. I'll be honest. This week, we're going to hear our reviews of Starve, number one, and The Disciples, number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics, faster than we can chase down a deadly genetically altered predator during the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where I am trying to watch the WWE Money in the Bank pay-per-view and Game 5 of the NBA Finals at the same time with Joe Patrick asking me a million questions about the rules, and of course, we'll be discussing next week's new comics. And finally, we're going to put on our brain amplifiers and play Ask a Nerd, but before we get this nerd party rolling, a quick word of warning. It appears that two of the love slaves used power tools to cut their way out of their sex kennels during the night and then hacked through a steel sewage pipe and chewed their way through a chain-locked manhole to escape. It should be noted, both of these men are neither armed nor dangerous, but there is a sizable reward in the form of high fives for their return. Come home, Aaron and Ryan. We promise not to use the fire hose on you guys. Seriously. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. Prison breaks. Wow. Yeah. I would argue if they were able to chew through a chain-locked manhole, they are dangerous. It was desperation. They're just lost nerds. (laughs) (laughs) Starting off with some sad news this week, legendary genre movie star Christopher Lee passed away on Sunday, June 7th, after being hospitalized for respiratory problems and heart failure. Lee's prolific career spanned seven decades and over 270 films, with characters ranging from Sherlock Holmes and Saruman to Francisco Scaramanga and Count Dracula, his most famous role. Lee began a long relationship with Hammer Films in the 1950s. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What about Count Dudu? Uh, yeah. Or Poo Poo, or whatever his name was. Dookie. Count the Dookie. Star Wars episode one or During three which or... he played Dracula a staggering ten times. News of Lee's passing didn't break until Thursday, so his wife had time to inform their family. Sir Christopher Lee, he was a knight, y'all. Was he knighted? Was 93 years old. I didn't know he was knighted. I didn't know he was 93 either because, like, the dude looked like he's been 70 for 30 years. Like, he's a scary (laughs) old-looking dude. I love Christopher Lee. I love the old Hammer films. Of course, loved him as Saruman. Didn't give a about Count Poo Poo or whatever, but you know, that's not his fault. He's getting a paycheck. Hey, we're going to miss this guy. He's high quality character actor. 
We really lost someone that can play a really spooky bad guy. Certainly one of the greatest villainous oh, yeah. character actors ever. Oh, yeah. The poor guy was pigeonholed, but I mean, what else do you do when you have this voice and that <laughs> scary face, you know? <laughs> like, bad news, you don't get to play a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> <laughs> here's, ho here's hoping he's feasting on man flesh in Mordor. Oh, of course. In happier news, a couple of Marvel Studios casting decisions have hit the net. First, The Walking Dead's John Bernthal has been cast as the Punisher and is slated to appear in the second season of Netflix's Daredevil series. Netflix's is hard to say. It is. Bernthal appeared as Shane on the first couple of seasons of AMC's The Walking Dead before going the way of most characters on that show. Spoilers! <laughs> Meanwhile, Deadline reports they have, quote, learned definitively that 12 Years a Slave star... Shuatel Ejiofor has been cast as Baron Mordo in Marvel's upcoming Doctor Strange film. He's going to cut out that part where I helped him, so it sounds like he pronounced it right on the first it's try. It's true. It's true. For those unfamiliar with the character, Mordo is the closest thing Strange has to an arch enemy, the Lex Luthor to his Superman, if you will. Doctor Strange is set to hit theaters on November 4th, 2016. Joe. We've got a hick as Punisher and another Oscar award winner in another Marvel movie. What the hell? <laughs> uh, so I think... Let's start with Burnthal. Let's go backwards because okay. uh, yeah. I want to stay positive right now. <laughs> uh, I think Chiwetel Ejiofor is great. He's an amazing and actor. And I think he's perfect for Baron Mordo. He's perfect for any character. Yeah. If they had said he was going to play Doctor Strange, I would have said no problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guy's amazing. Yeah. So that is great. And that movie is going to have a lot of star power uh, behind it, especially if Tilda Swinton gets cast as the agent. Oh, wow. One. <laughs> yeah. I am super excited just to see what the hell they're going to do here. So great. Um, I don't like John Bernthal. I do. I hated him in The Walking Dead. I hated him. You were supposed to hate him. Yeah, but I don't think I hated him because of the character. I think I just hated him. Really? You didn't like his performance? Because I thought he was fine. I didn't. Uh, I don't. I'm not like, a I don't fan think it was award-winning, but I thought he was fine. I just, I don't think I'd like him. I think he looks like the Punisher. I think he's a big, tough guy. I think he can do crazy. We've seen him do that in The Walking Dead. And I think he's Perfect. Perfect. I think that it's interesting to note that they're going for a younger Punisher. Yeah. They're obviously not going to try to pull any like Vietnam vet I think we're going to get kind of an origin story. Maybe. Would be my guess. Maybe. Uh, I'm into it. Whatever. It's fine. I'm sure he'll be fine. Marvel has yet to, to steer us wrong. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that in recent weeks... Uh, there was also the rumor that Jason Statham was going to play Bullseye. Uh, and uh, no, that would have been amazing. No, no, no. That would have been <laughs> no. amazing. <laughs> no, I do not want that. Uh, but he kind of. I like Statham. I don't want that. But Statham kind of poo-pooed the rumors and, and shut him down. Um, it's probably a given that Elektra and Bullseye will also be oh, yeah. in the season. Oh, so yeah. uh, I think they did some, some uh, audition videos leaked of them casting somebody that fits Electra's description so okay we'll be in interesting to see how season two develops uh but it is cool like marvel got those those rights back to and those characters wham. and then they're like here yep, you go they're not wasting any time it's cool okay perfect world who is joe patrick's punisher i'm bad at this kind of thing i don't know um for me i feel like the punisher does need to read as as older i, I don't know if he necessarily needs to be a vietnam vet uh, because at this point in time, we're stretching it. <laughs> yeah, it's like 70 something. Yeah. <laughs> but I also don't I'm not really interested in reading like young 28 year old Frank Castle comes home from Afghanistan what? and his he wife is older murdered. than that. I know. I know. But 
for me, when I think of the Punisher, I think of somebody that's a little older. Though I, the movie is terrible, I liked Ray Winstone. I liked the way he looked. I thought he really uh, fit the bill. Um, occasional guest host Dave DeMarco's. He says there's only one choice to play the Punisher, and that is Fred Ward from Tremors. Fred Ward is entirely <laughs> too old. <laughs> I do love Fred Ward, and if we could rewind time, yes, I totally agree. I would, I would be totally into it. Fred Ward, he played Remo Williams. I know. I just watched Remo Williams this week. He's on Netflix. The Destroyer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome. We're closing out the big news with one last Hollywood story. This one featuring one of our new pals. ICV2 has reported that Toronto's Buck Productions is developing a new supernatural crime series for television based on the comic series Reincarnate by Roche Limits' Michael Morisi and artist Keith Burns. Morisi and Burns originally self-published Reincarnate, the saga of a small-time private eye who gets shot in the head, granting the ability to access his past lives. Heavy Metal has acquired the rights to Reincarnate and will publish a trade paperback of the series this November. Matt, does this sound like a good fit for television? I think it sounds awesome. It sounds like Quantum Leap with, you know, a violent twist. Yeah, if he could just, like, dial back in his head and, yeah. and have all of the knowledge and skills of all of his past selves, that's yeah. kind of, that's super cool. It's like Cowboy Ninja Viking without the lunacy. Yeah, kind of. Right? Yeah, right. That's a good analogy. I think it sounds great. Where the only thing is, you know, where does this end up? Is it going to be a CW thing? Is it going to be a that's well, that's the real Toronto's question. Buck Productions? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, <laughs> but I mean, they they make. See, I will say they make a lot of lesser expensive shows in Canada because it's cheaper to do so, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, that's just how business works now. I'm more curious to see where this ends up than will it be a good idea. I think it's gonna be fun. The original series was great. Heavy Metal is making a big push, and they love Maurice. They they love the guy. Mm -hmm. They started their American comic book line, American, if you will, like the floppy, you know, two ninety nine Western comic, Western comic, books. Western. Pardon me, with Morrissey's Hoax Hunters. So they believe in this guy. Hoax Hunters has also been optioned for a film. So they believe in him. They're pushing this. I think it's gonna be fun. He's an idea, man, and I love it. Yeah, good what he does. That is big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or everything we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where Joe and I are discussing our League of Extraordinary Christopher Lees and arguing about which of his 10 Draculas should make the team. I mean, you got to figure that at least some of them are the same Dracula, right? I mean, I guess, but there was always like slightly different Draculas. He's in a different mood, you know, I mean, like, which one you go with? <laughs> Constipated Dracula. I mean, Francisco Scaramanga definitely makes the From way. the man with the gold. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the time has come Fortune and my rain will shine Like the stars in the sky Over lands and the sea Every Sunday, the Dracula to my wolfman, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joey, what are we asking the listeners this week? This week's question comes courtesy of Black Scorpion the Three. Ladies and gentlemen. We have a Goocher. The Goocher. <laughs> quote, two <laughs> Listen, this is not a quote from him. He does not live in Nebraska. Who? You changed the quote. I changed the quote because I, I thought it was better. I wanted to throw another stab at Arb. Just read it. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> two weeks ago, despite the best efforts of our bald, psychotic governor, Pete Ricketts, Nebraska <laughs> lawmakers voted to end the death penalty. 
What do you think about killing in comics? More specifically, what do you think about heroes killing in comics? When is it okay for heroes to kill? Ooh, we got a morality question here. Or is it even? Maybe it's not. Maybe, Maybe you don't think never it is. okay. You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday, June 19th to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message using Skype. The handle is 200nerd, all one word. You can also call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894, or send an MP3 to 200nerd at gmail.com. Keep it two minutes or less. I know this is a tough topic. You guys can do it. I believe in you. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. And then tune in next week, Thursday, to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. And it's a good one. Calling all philosophy nerd comic fans. <laughs> Can't great. wait to hear what the orca has to say about oh, it. Oh, boy. <laughs> It's review time on THN where Matt and I shoo away the big flashy Marvel and DC crossover books like flies to review two of this week's other comics. There were other comics on the stand. That's right. Matt, tell the kids about what you read this week. This week I picked Starve, number one from Image, written by Brian Wood, with art by Daniel Zeze. What? I Keith Silva was kind enough to point me to a Nike video that he worked with them on like a soccer thing. And he says, my name is Daniel Zeze. It's him. Except his name is also j- not just Daniel because yeah. there's a J in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like Daniel, Daniel Zeze. Is how he says what it. The f- don't know. Thirty-two pages, three fifty. Brian Wood launches a new series in a somewhat similar dystopian future to his previous DC Vertigo series, DMZ. Here, the free market has collapsed in the wake of climate change gone wild. Coastal cities and financial centers literally drown in the wake of the rising ocean, leaving two classes of people, the fabulously rich minority untethered by law and the wretchedly poor masses. In this future, celebrity chef Gavin Cruikshank walked away from his hit TV show, Starve, which started off as an Anthony Bourdain traveling chef type show and became a blatant Iron Chef analog and fled to live, drink, gamble, and walk amongst the poor somewhere in Southeast Asia. When he left his show, it fell into the hands of his rival, Roman Algiers, and his money is now being held hostage by his ex-wife, who left him after he came out of the closet almost 20 years into their marriage. When Gavin is summoned to finish his it contract... <laughs> sure. When Gavin is summoned to finish his contract with the show that made him rich, he finds it transformed into a gladiator sport where chefs compete to make food that poor people eat palatable for the mega rich. And he decides it's time to drag the whole thing to hell with him. Daniel Zeze is an amazing penciler, and here he creates two perfectly realized worlds. One is a dark, sweaty, overcrowded urban maze where the poor eke out a living and drink themselves into oblivion. The other, a gorgeous, pristine, perfectly lit high-rise world of the rich and fortunate. The cover alone was enough to sell me on this book. It was just amazing. Wood's main character reminds me of Anthony Bourdain meets Spider Jerusalem. He's real skinny, he's drunk, intense, and he thinks he's smarter than everyone in the room. Crookshank is perfectly realized, not quite likable, but instantly captivating. The whole cast that Wood builds around him is just as conniving and also well-written. The issue opens with a scene right out of Rambo 3. Crookshank is drunk and gambling in a sweaty, unnamed Asian city where he's pulled back into the life he fled, not by his commanding officer, but by something even worse, a network executive. It's a perfect setup with just enough of a tweak to make it feel brand new, 
Wood seems to be turning the dystopian future genre on its head here with this takedown of the Food Network, and I cannot wait to see where this goes. This is one of the most original concepts I've encountered in comics for quite some time, and I'm giving it a gigantic buy it. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. The art is amazing. Dave Stewart was on colors, and it's beautifully colored. Can you imagine trying to color this book? That's exactly what I thought when I opened it last night. I'm like, oh my God, how do you color this? I would have called him Dan, Dan Gell and said, dude, this is a black and white comic. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's, but it's breathtaking. It's, it's really, really beautiful. Yeah. He kind of just layered background color that just sort of washed over all the pencils and it really worked. Came off really cool. Yeah. It was, it was a really fun concept. Uh, I love the idea that this guy's vanity project has that he abandoned is now the number one most popular thing in America. Yeah, uh, because it's really all the people have anymore. Right. And uh, uh, the conceit that is like we take food that is inedible that the poor have to eat and we make it okay for rich jerks. Yeah, the title of the first issue is the common meat. I won't tell you what that meat is, but it's kind of shocking. Yeah. (laughs) I really enjoyed it. I, I uh, totally agree with your comparison to Spider, uh, Spider Jerusalem and Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. Uh, he's a fun character. Again, not one that you necessarily like, but one that you kind of want to root for. Yeah. Uh, and it helps that everyone else around him is kind of worse. And <laughs> you you need that with a character that's uh, really flawed, like Crookshank. You, of course. You need the supporting cast to be even worse. <laughs> Uh, I I totally loved it. Thought it was a ton of fun. I'm giving it a buy it too. Joe Patrick, tell the kids what you reviewed this week. This week I'm reviewing The Disciples number one from Black Mask, written by Steve Niles, with art by Christopher Mitten and colors by Jay Photos. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Dagmar, Rick, and Jules, intrepid private eyes slash bounty hunters, have been hired by a high-ranking senator to retrieve his teenage daughter, who's run off to join a mysterious religious cult. This is no ordinary cult, though. In the near future of the Disciples, the ultra-wealthy have become true masters of the universe by colonizing moons throughout the solar system. Billionaire industrialist Macaulay Richmond is one such colonist. He's built a new society on Ganymede, a moon of Jupiter, where his flock of cultists can have their religious freedom to worship him. But when the team reaches Ganymede in the Starship Venture, they discover something has gone... horribly wrong. (laughs) Pause for effect. Not much of a story, but, you know, everything was fine. Yeah, right. They <laughs> they landed safely, found her right away, and are on their way home. Yep. She didn't want to be there. Everything was fine. <laughs> Part one of one, 15 pages, 99 cents. Despite the glut of Secret Wars tie-ins and DC relaunch books, I was having a hard time settling on something to review for my main book this week. Fortunately, the Disciples looked interesting, and I moved it to the top of my reading stack. The book opens with a small crew of bounty hunters entering Jupiter's orbit through a nightmarish ring of space debris. Then we snap back in time, learning that the preceding pages were just a dream, or maybe they were a vision of what's in store. We learn about the crew of the Starship Venture and their mission to rescue a woman from a cult leader rich enough to build his compound on the moons of Jupiter. As the Venture approaches its destination, Dagmar's dream becomes a terrifying reality, because of course it does. Of course. Why wouldn't it? I'm not sure what it is about horror stories set in space that makes them seem even scarier to me. Maybe it's the idea that in sci-fi stories you expect the alien, but the presence of the supernatural seems even more out of place and disturbing. It's like the movie Event Horizon, 
Oh. Which, is oh. a, which is about a group of scientists. <laughs> it's about a group of scientists that discover faster than light travel by skipping through a dimension that, oops, happens to be hell. Well, may or may not be hell. We it's don't know. definitely we hell. Know it's bad. <laughs> that movie wrecked me for months. Oh, it's so good. Niles is a master at building tension. He starts off the issue by letting you know that something isn't right about where these guys are going, then dials it back and gives you a chance to get to know the characters and understand their motivations before completely pulling the rug out from under them. The art team of Christopher Mitten and Jay Photos deliver some really impressive work. Mitten's art reminds me a bit of Riley Rossmo in a lot of ray in a lot of ways. <clears throat> Mitten's art reminds me a lot of Riley Rossmo in a lot of ways, and he's got a loose, expressive style that's also extremely detailed when it needs to be. His backgrounds do a great job establishing the setting and making it look consistent, which can be tricky. Uh, I remember reading an X-Men comic a few years ago. We may have even touched on it on the show. Back when they all lived on Utopia, and the artist had the characters hanging out in a room. It was Cyclops' office. And it just looked like it was a room in any old office building. It could have been in a sky rise anywhere in America, complete with the potted plant in the corner. They are living in an overturned asteroid that has crashed into the ocean. <laughs> Rooms do not look like that. Right, right, right. Well, I, yeah. Yeah. And then they just like, they stormed out down a normal looking hallway. Yeah. And in the Disciples, Mitten, his backgrounds are very detailed. They're cramped. Uh, you, when he's on the space station, it looks different, but each uh, panel has a consistency to the design so that you know it's all in the same place. You can tell he mapped it out, and, definitely. Right. And, and then, you can tell he studied a bunch of like 80s sci-fi, like alien and stuff like that to get that cramped quarter spaceship feel. Definitely. Right. And then when they got onto the spaceship, it was different. It was a different looking yeah. setting from the space station. Definitely. And yeah, it was like being on a submarine, you know, with small rooms yeah. and a lot of, you know, close quarters type Colored stuff. very well, too, to give you that. The colors that by feeling. J Photos, they created an excellent contrast between the brown and gray drabness of space stations and cargo ships and the immense beauty and terror of outer space. This book wasn't on my radar at all. I'm really glad I picked it up. Sometimes having kind of a light week pays off. I'm giving it a huge bite. I'm excited to read more. I am too. Uh, Christopher Mitten has worked with Niles on Criminal Macabre over at Dark Horse yeah, a lot. Yeah, I knew I'd seen him somewhere. And he wasn't the first choice I would make for a sci-fi book, but I think he shines because he's not an obvious choice and he's making a sci-fi book look different. He's still playing by the rules. Like we said, he does a great job with the ships and stuff like that, but his style is very loose and lends itself to the supernatural. So I can only assume there's some really weird shit coming <laughs> Oh, but yeah. This is a great setup. Steve Niles seems to get better and better every time I read this guy. Yeah, I, Steve I didn't Niles, care for him at first at all. Steve Niles has been kind of hit and miss yeah. for me over like the years. He knocked one out of the park with uh, 30 Days of 30 Night, days of night yeah. and then just kind of... Eh. He, it's peaks and valleys, man, because yeah. he did another book with Fiona Staples called Mystery Team. Something like that. Or oh, Mystery Society. Did it ever finish? Yeah, there have been multiple volumes of okay. it. And that's such a fun book. It was a really great. fun concept. It was great. And again, this this is really exciting. I loved it. And the characters are all very well fleshed out. Yeah. They're they all have different personalities. It's a oh, huge it a ton props of fun to Black to Mask, who's putting on a lot of quality right now. Totally. Totally impressed. 
So that is a double buy it for both Starve number one and The Disciples number one. As always, we want to know what you dog-eating space cultists thought of these comics, so enter the digital gladiatorial ring that is the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at tuitinerd.com. What started out as an experiment in the Ziggurat Labs has now become an out-of-control example of man tampering in the forces of nature he can't possibly understand. In an attempt to create a bigger and better pug for beeps to hang out with, Joe and I unleashed a giant and adorable smashed-faced demon on the Omaha metro area. Joe, what have we done? Now, join us as we hop on the THN cycle with our team of trained pugs to chase down this farting and snorting predator while we review ten more of this week's new comics! During the ludicrous speed round! Ludicrous speed! Go! All-Star Section 8, number one from DC! Garth Ennis and John McRae resurrect six-pack and Section 8 for the Sublime 49, and thank God they did. The creative team slips right back into Hitman mode without skipping a beat, delivering something just as disgusting and outrageous as you'd expect. I loved every page. Buy it! The Caterer, number one, from Floating World Comics. Stay with me here. This is supposed to be a reissue of a cult comic produced by Pearl Comics in the mid-1970s that led to the company's demise. In all actuality, this is an exercise in absurdity by British writer Steve Aylett. The comic is part of a hoax complete with a YouTube documentary about the fake creator Jeff Lint, with appearances from the likes of Alan Moore praising Lint's misunderstood genius. It is almost complete nonsense that made me laugh out loud until I was pulled into the madness that Aylid is famous for. All I can tell you is I feel different after reading this. <laughs> you went through the event horizon. I can only give it a skim it. Starfire, number one from DC. Despite my complete and utter disdain for Harley Quinn, I decided to give this a try from Harley's writers, Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor. And I gotta admit, it was pretty fun. It's charming, it's cute, it's kind of flirty and funny. It's everything you want in a book about this version of this character. Thankfully, without the blank slate sex bot stuff that Scott Lobdell tried to slap on her in the Red Hood book a couple of years ago, the art by Emanuela Lupacino. Lupa Emanuela Lupacino. That's my guess. It's breathtaking. All right. I'm giving it a buy it, though I do. Agree. I do agree that uh, with some of the criticism I saw about how uh, DC kind of had a chance to make a book for young girls oh. with Starfire because she's such a popular fixture in their kids stuff. Like Teen, Teen Titans, Titans Go, Go, for example. And this is not that. This is like okay. this is absolutely adult. So I kind of see their point, well, but this also, was this they was also a have good a book. whole line of like girls comics. Yeah, now, yes, so it's they true. Can do it there. And for this, for what it was, for what I was getting before from the previous version of the character this was much better i liked it okay metallic silence number one from amigo much in the vein of gerard way's true lies of the fabulous killjoys this comic was inspired by the music of azul y negro spanish for black and blue a spanish electro pop band and it follows basso or baso a musician living in the far future who carries his guitar everywhere he goes even though he refuses to play it anymore where everyone is trying to escape something i guess be it via starships taking them off planet or just drinking themselves into oblivion great art here by angel hernandez but much like the killjoys the story loses itself in borderline poetic nonsense that i guess comes from the band's lyrics on their new album 
there is a code for a free download of the new Azuli Negro single included in the book, which I guess is cool for fans, but this did nothing for me other than leave me bored and confused. Also, I might be allergic to electropop. Leave it. It Will All Hurt, number one, from Study Group. Great title. Yeah. <laughs> Farrell Dalrymple is back with this companion piece to his graphic novel, The Wrenchies, oh. which I still haven't read. I feel bad about it. Like the solicit said, it's which I didn't read and I realized, but the solicit says, and I agree, it's a weird, sad, silly, sketchy fantasy adventure thing. <laughs> Magic and fighting and superheroes and aliens collide in a cool little package, golden age size, so sorry, oh. collectors. Uh, breathtaking watercolor art. Make sure you check this out. I'm giving it a buy it. Constantine, the Hellblazer, number one from DC. Sure, the watered-down Constantine knew that the series sucked, and like the watered-down NBC show, which also sucked, was scrapped. But DC's not giving up on the smoking, beer-swilling magician yet. This wasn't exactly the Hellblazer I remember, but artists Riley Rosmo and writers Ming Doyle and James Tynan IV, let's just call him James Tynan IV, do a great job bringing some edge back to the character and a fresh look to the world of Constantine. Rosmo's art, I really enjoy. Gorgeous. There is not another book in the DC universe that looks like this. Yep. It was really cool. This is a solid step in the right direction. I'm giving it a buy it. I have to ask, has John Constantine always been bisexual? I don't think so. Great question. Yeah. Lay it on us. If, you, you if know, anybody knows this, because I read a lot of Hellblazer. I don't even recall that. My answer is, I don't think so, but if it had occurred in the regular Hellblazer book, I would not have been surprised. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely some weird homoerotic stuff that happened here and there, but I don't know. Roach Limit, Clandestiny, number two from Image. Some listeners may recall that Matt and I didn't really latch on to Roach Limit when it launched last year, but after talking to writer Michael Maurice at Okamicon, and thanks to some gentle encouragement from our pal Doc Flux, I gave Roach Limit a second chance shotgunning the entire first arc and the first two issues of Clandestiny. Did you puke? That's right. <laughs> Even though I only have to read seven comics a week, <laughs> this is what I do. Okay. I'm so glad I did it. If Volume 1 was a Blade Runner-esque sci-fi noir mystery, this series is an alien-style sci-fi action horror. I'm loving it. And new artist Kyle Charles. I'm giving it a buy it. It... Roche Limit, if you didn't get into it at first, it's a slow burn. It builds very nicely. I really ended up enjoying it. I really enjoyed it. I read the whole thing. Loved it. Yeah, except your review. I went back and listened to your review of Roche Limit. one was a little slow. And it was harsher than even mine. Yeah, but then by the end of the series, I was totally in. Red Hood and Arsenal, number one from DC. Jeff Loeb seems to have graciously accepted the fact that he's never allowed to write Starfire again by turning this book. Scott LaBelle. Oh, pardon me. Scott Lobdell seems to have graciously accepted the fact that he's never allowed to write Starfire again by turning this book into a buddy hero adventure. Dennis Medry is solid on pencils here and much less technical than his insane predecessor, Kenneth Roquefort. And while the book is better and might lend itself better to a buddy story, it still comes off as a leftover from a series that not many people, including myself, cared about. I don't see this first issue pulling in many new fans to the characters, to the two characters that have been run through the ringer so many times it's hard to care about them at all, but I will say it was not bad. I'm getting to skim it. I will agree. It was not bad, it but it bad. also wasn't good enough to justify its existence. Yeah, this is why I'm not giving it a buy. Yeah. Weird World, number one from Marvel. Because you demanded it, Jason Aaron and Electra's Mike Del Mundo resurrect Marvel's 70 sci-fi barbarian weirdo, Archon, for the Secret Wars tie-in. 
Yeah, think Conan on LSD. <laughs> Archon has no idea where he is or what's going on, but he knows he's lost and needs to get back to his kingdom, Polemicus. This is goofy as hell and exactly what the title would make you expect. The art by Mike Del Mundo is beautifully sublime. So much fun. I loved it. This book was amazing. I think this is the best thing I read this week. <laughs> Buy it. Blubber, number one from Fanagraphics. Legendary indie darling Gilbert Hernandez returns with a one-shot of stream of consciousness strips that mainly depict imaginary animals shitting, killing, and having sex with each other. Yeah. It was weirdly hypnotic and only for hardcore fans of Hernandez's work, and while I guess I enjoyed it, this is the second comic I read this week that left me feeling different. <laughs> if you're looking for a weird romp through the mind of the creator of Love and Rockets, I guess this is for you. I'm giving it a skim it. speed round and crack it's a sound made by a sheriff kicking the caterer's girlfriend in the face <laughs> as seen in this week's issue of the caterer please kick us in the face with your opinions of these comics over at the this week's comic section of the thn forums she wakes up and looks at him and goes god sheriff i feel awful what did you kick me in the face <laughs> she was unconscious when he kicked her in the face <laughs> by the way <laughs> oh. It's Matt's favorite time of the sports year when the Stanley Cup and the NBA Finals collide. And this weekend, the trifecta is complete with a WWE Mr. Money in the Bank pay-per-view. So I decided to make an effort and invited my buddy, the Sportsmaster, over to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to explain why Matt's so excited, along with what constitutes a team foul versus a technical foul. I mean, honestly, who know, Who even knows? The Sportsmaster does. What the hell is icing? And why Seth Rollins can't use his curb stomp finishing move anymore. Which is bullshit. Matt, I don't suppose you could pull your eyes from one of the three giant screens in here and tell the listeners what you're excited to read next week. Next week, I'm excited for Thor's number one from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, with art by Chris Sprouse. 32 pages, $3.99. Here's your solicit. The Thor's of every domain together in one book as Cosmic Cops. Whenever there's trouble in Battle World, the Thors answer the call, but a string of mysterious murders leaves some of them asking questions that may unravel all of reality. Yikes! A hard-hitting Marvel Comics police drama with hammers! Lots and lots of hammers! <laughs> I'm a fool for the Thor Corps. I love Thor's, like, Doom's police force. Love Aaron, but honestly, I would buy this for Chris Sprouse's art alone. The man does not draw enough comics! I do like Chris Sprouse. I love Chris Sprouse. Joey, what's your pick for next week? Next week, I am excited to read Astronauts in Trouble number one from Image Comics, written by Larry Young, with art by Charlie Adler. Yeah, that's right. That Charlie Adler. Here's your solicit, just in case you didn't get it. The series that brought The Walking Dead artist Charlie Adler to the attention of Robert Kirkman. Why is his name in bold? <laughs> Has a new home at Image Comics. They're trying to make money, that's why. <laughs> in 1959, the Channel 7 news team covers a routine homicide that leads them to a mysterious rocket base in Peru filled with Russian spies. All in a day's work for the most trusted newsmen in America, they couldn't know their day would end up with a hot pilot, a fast ship, cheap beer, and spacesuits. I don't know anything about Astro Astronauts in this Trouble. This is a continuation of the story. Astronauts in Trouble is a book that I remember from years ago, it was from like, like a, the 90s yeah, and like early 2000s. Thing, right? 
Uh, it was it was put out by a company called AIT Planet Law. That's right. AIT obviously stands for Astronauts in Trouble. Yep. It was the flagship book of that company. They put out a lot of great like little indie graphic novels by people you've heard of. Yeah. This is the first thing I ever remember seeing Charlie Adler's name on. I never actually saw a copy of it. I've never read it, and now it's coming to Image. I don't know if it's a reprint. I don't know if it's new. I'm in. I'm intrigued. I'm gonna check it out. I've been curious about this one for a long time. The THN trade of the week next week is the complete eight ball hardcover box set from Fantagraphics by Daniel Klaus for the low, low price of $119. Cheap okay. as free. Totally worth it. And just saying, my birthday is coming up. Here's your solicit for the 25th anniversary of eight ball. Fantagraphics is collecting all 18 long out of print issues of eight ball in a slipcase set under two hardcover volumes, reproducing each issue exactly as they were originally published, fully annotated and designed by Daniel Klaus with loads of new art and featuring over 450 pages of vintage Klaus, including such classics as Like a Velvet Glove, Cast an Iron, Ghost World, Puce, that's how you pronounce it, I Hate You Deeply, and so many more. I Hate You Deeply <laughs> is great. That's a great title. In- including many never reprinted before now, if you've never encountered Daniel Klaus, do yourself a favor and go check out his complete weirdo fiction. He's so, so good. I loved 8-Ball back in the day. I want this so badly. Daniel Klaus is a complete weirdo. He's a total weirdo. <laughs> One of my favorite 8-Ball things in the end, I can't remember which issue it was, but it was like a page like in Marvel where they used to be like, subscribe to your, very, your favorite Marvel comics, cut out this coupon and you know check off what you want. Only it's this guy and he's like running and he's got an eight ball comic that he's cramming into his like jacket pocket. And there's a cloud above him with this muscle man with an erection oh. and a giant eyeball for a head. And it says, hey, eight ball reader, God's got a hard on for you. And now you can subscribe. <laughs> it's amazing. Yikes. <laughs> Even though the Sportsmaster has only reinforced my disdain for both basketball and hockey, I gotta admit, at least wrestlers dress like superheroes, but some of these moves are downright homoerotic, right? They really are. <laughs> there's no way around it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Well, they had like a battle the other day where like if you lose, you have to kiss a dude's butt. And it was like, that's not even near as bad as some of the moves where you pick a gentleman up and smash his groin in your face and then hit him on the mat. Hey, know? man, some people pay good money to kiss dudes' butts. <laughs> it's true. And Let me know what you guys think about this whole wrestling thing <laughs> and what you're excited to read over at the THM forums. It's time again to play Ask a Nerd, where we sort through the virus and malware-infested emails you listeners sent us to find a comic-related question worth our discussion. This week, loyal listener Harvey Locust sends us an audio question via email. Take it away, Harv! Hey guys, I recently started listening to a new podcast called Type Omaha, hosted by two funny ladies that visit different stores, bars, you know, restaurants, um, special events, things that happen around in and around Omaha. Uh, this brought me back to when I first moved to Omaha. I visited a certain dwelling of fire-breathing lizards and came across a comic titled Omaha the Cat Dancer. <laughs> I thought that this comic would give me insight to my new home, but I got introduced to furry porn instead. So my question is this, are there any comics out there that actually take place in our fine city? 
like a market rack book or something. Thanks, guys. It only took me 10 more issues of Omaha the Cat Dancer before I realized <laughs> like, it wasn't set in Omaha. Minute. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Omaha the Cat Dancer was like a classic adult comic that came out in the 80s yes. starring an exotic dancer who just happened to be a cat named Omaha. Nothing to do with the city whatsoever. No, there no, you go. no. So we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. And comic books actually set in Omaha are very, very few and far yes. between. Yes. There's only one specifically that I that we both talked about recently. The Crippler's Son, written by our good friend Max Riffner, who is feeling much better after his recent heart surgery. If you didn't know that happened, send him a get well soon note or something. He's doing really well. Yeah. The Crippler's Son was a story of a Creighton med student. I don't think they called it Creighton, but he was basically a Creighton med student whose brother was a wrestler and how he dealt with like their absent father and his weird relationship with his brother. It was an excellent book. We both loved it. It is very much Omaha centric. Yep. About as Omaha centric as anything. They, they spend some time at the civic auditorium. Yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah, I think they called it Creighton. Did I think they? they called it the Creighton med center. Yeah. I don't think they did. I think they did it not so as not to get sued. I think he had a different name for it. Regardless. I mean, it's set in a real place. Right. That's just how it is. Right. But still, he couldn't write about the Creighton Med Center and how bad it sucks to work there and shit without probably getting in trouble. <laughs> Regardless, uh, it was absolutely set in Omaha, very recognizably so. And yeah, like Matt said, it's wonderful. Check it out. Excellent stuff. Uh, the only other one that I can really think of, there was an arc of Iron Man, Director of S.H.I.E.L.D., which followed Civil War, so this would have been some years ago, seven or eight years ago, when the Marvel Universe still had the initiative going on and every state had their own team of Avengers, basically. And it was so, Iron Man 15 through 35. That was Director of S.H.I.E.L.D., but this yeah. um, Iron Man, uh, this story arc kicked off with issue 21 of that series from okay. 2007. Okay. And the leader of... The <laughs> initiative team in Omaha, which, by the way, nobody understands how what Omaha looks like. It's like you don't go into the city and all of a sudden there's cornfields. I mean, <laughs> I get it. Nebraska. Very funny. But the I, if I recall correctly, the leader of that team kind of goes crazy. Uh, members of his team get, keep getting killed. It's it's cuckoo. Captain Ultra is the character. He's a, he's a 70s character from... Uh, Tony Stark's duties with S.H.I.E.L.D. and the initiative take him to Omaha, Nebraska, where Iron Man encounters an old hero with a grudge. And two all-new superhumans. It was written by Daniel Nauf with pencils by Roberto De La Torre, who we both really like. Yeah, yeah. Cover by Gerald Perel, who did a bunch of great Iron Man covers back in the day. So you can check that out. It was multiple issues. Who is the bad guy? Captain Ultra was the leader of that initiative team. Is he from Omaha or is he just stationed here? No, I think, I think that was kind of part of his beef is that like he was stuck here in his hick town <laughs> right in this one, <laughs> right in this one cow town. I remember they totally made it look like you, know, you just rolled into like friend Nebraska or Moline <laughs> or something. You know? I mean, <laughs> it, they did get some right. Like I think they mentioned, uh, Epley airfield and, and it's not like they didn't depict it as a city. But they only did a very quick internet search. Yeah. It, so, I mean, that that could have easily taken place anywhere. Right. Most notably, though, there was an issue of Superman 
issue 708. This was prior to the DC reboot. And this was during the storyline written by J. Michael Straczynski. Oh, God, it was so bad. (laughs) Where Superman decides, you know what? I'm going to just walk across America and get in touch with the real people. Meet the folks, you know. It's terrible. It was terrible and didn't end, as I recall. Well, I know Straczynski left the book and some guy, uh, Chris Roberson, had to come in and like fill in to just kind of let Peter to an ending. It was horrible. But... This issue of Superman in in the solicit they said Superman visits Omaha, Nebraska, and everyone got super excited about yeah. it. And shops and all over town. Shops like ordered, ordered extra copies, huge amounts of these books. I mean, I don't know if we ordered super crazy huge, but probably more than we normally right. would order of Superman. The World Herald, our paper wrote a story about it. Like it was a thing, man. Yep. And then the book showed up on a Tuesday, and we opened it up and looked at it, and the first thing you notice is that it's not set in Omaha; it's set in Lincoln. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lincoln, and, the capital of Nebraska, by yeah. the way. Oh, for yeah. For those of you, of you that aren't, aren't from Omaha, Lincoln is not Omaha. No, it's about <laughs> 50 miles away, which is not far, but it's definitely not Omaha. So after doing a little research, I found out that uh, there was this contest, like, have Superman come to your town. Yeah, I remember that. And you had to live within 50 miles of the town that you were suggesting. And the winner was from Lincoln. Oh. But when they when the editor, editorial team wrote up the solicit and everything, they were like, Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. <laughs> So it was it was sold to us as one thing and they and it showed up and it was Lincoln. Yeah, you know, they were like sad trombone. What's the population of Lincoln and what's the population of Omaha? Yeah, let's call it Omaha. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it was such a big deal that well, big deal. Slow news day. Like the newspaper did a follow up story saying, what the hell is this? (laughs) (laughs) Superman didn't show up at Omaha (laughs) and they contacted DC and DC's like, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. So yeah, that's really, as far as stories set in Omaha, that's all I got. Any retailers out there. I want to know if that issue was, was returnable because of that. I'm curious. Lay it on us. Go to the two edit nerd forums and answer. Was that issue returnable in the lay it on me section? <laughs> I think it was returnable for other reasons. Like oh, okay. I think, I think that issue was credited to Straczynski, but it was after the point that he walked and Roberson come in, came in and started oh. doing fill-ins. And I think it may have been returnable for those reasons. Not Thankfully. necessarily. Yeah. But I mean, how bad would it have been if we had ordered like, a thousand copies. Yeah. And they were like, what well, you got exactly what we said? I mean, nope. Like- <laughs> <laughs> um, so I can't think of a lot of stories set in Nebraska, yeah. but we've talked about it on the show, how there are plenty of characters from here. Hometown from boys. Omaha. Brock Sampson from the Venture Brothers is yeah. born in Omaha. Uh, Cyclops' Orphanage, where he was raised by Mr. Sinister, is yep. in Omaha. Yep, there you go. Uh, Wally West is from a, a made-up town called Blue Valley in Nebraska somewhere. Man-Thing, where's he from? Man-Things, Man the scientist that became Man-Thing, Ted Salas, is from Omaha. Okay. Yeah, so... You got you've got a lot of pretty solid connections, comic names yeah. set in the Omaha area, but not a whole lot of stories. Well, and maybe we're missing something. If we are, lay it on us. Go to the THN forums, lay it on us. There's a section called "Lay It On Us," and tell us, are we missing one? Because like this is a really hard thing to search for. The Wizard of Oz was from Omaha. What? Yeah. Oh, you mean L. Frank Baum? No, I mean the Wizard was from Omaha. Oh, was he? Yeah. I didn't know that. He flies off in that big balloon that says State Fair, Omaha. Oh, I guess it's been a while. Yep. That's interesting. 
But lay it on us. Do you guys know of any other comic stories that we Leatherneck from G.I. Joe? Yep. From Omaha. Good old Omaha boy. Aunt Becky from Full House. <laughs> really? <laughs> Uncle Jesse's wife. Okay. All right. She was gorgeous, as I recall. Yeah, she's a pretty lady. She was beautiful. They're all beautiful here in Omaha, guys. Let me tell you. That's right. Omaha, Nebraska, where the women are strong, the men are intelligent, and all the children are above average. That's it. Great question. I wish we could give you more. But honestly, Omaha doesn't pop up in the comics a lot. I don't know. I mean, but you could say that for just about any town that's not L.A., Seattle, or New York. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's, it's just how it goes, man. You know, what can you do? It's okay. But you know what? The flip side is we're not constantly getting destroyed by supervillains. That's true. And if you're looking to learn more about Omaha through comic books, that's a terrible way to do it. I'd say get out of the house. <laughs> get in your car. Drive around. with nice people. You know, more than willing to hang out, Harv. If you've got a burning comic question worthy of our discussion or just a nerdy argument you need settled, you can send it to nerd at gmail.com with the subject Ask a Nerd. Or you can call or leave a message on the official THN Google Voice line at 402-819-4894 or post it on the Ask a Nerd forums. You can get there by going to nerd.com or hit us up on the THN Facebook. Yeah. You know We're there, bros. It's fun. You can like us while you're there. Oh, do it. Yeah. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Who in the Hell in Their Right Mind Would Rebuild Jurassic Park episode of Two-Headed Nerd. If you're scratching your head and wondering the same damn thing, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, you can leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, or your little hearts, and maybe a Facebook like or two, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. We got a lot of likes after O-Comic-Con, which is super Oh, that's cool. All right. Thank you to all of our donors. We did not get a lot of donors after El Comic. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> Fred Gorham Fred Gorm did throw a dollar at he me. He did. He did. If you want to keep us in cattle prods and feed for the genetically altered pugs wandering the ziggurat, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at nerd.com. If you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box, and as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you are interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. And do not forget to sign up for the THN Forums. It's your little virtual piece of the Ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show. You can ask us to review your self-published comics. You can learn more about our segments and how you can be a part of them. Or baby, you can just rap about comics. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can follow our soundtrack playlist on Spotify. Just search for Matt Baum's name in the little search box. He's got a little profile and everything. I'll pop right up. Before we go, a weekly shout-out goes to our good friend, New Mutant himself, Alan White, who released the first issue of The Power Principle on Comixology this week, a comic literally decades in the making. I read it. It is smartly written and funny. A really great story about a group of superpower guys coming back together for the first time since childhood. Like a superhero Big Chill. Sort of, if the people in the Big Chill were being systematically exterminated. I wanted them to be systematically <laughs> exterminated. Word to you, Alan. Everybody get to Comixology and check out The Power Principle. Until next time, true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might chase you down on a motorcycle accompanied by a team of misfit employees if you don't. This is the Twitter Nerd, signing off. 